Welcome back, Never Sleepers, to another episode of Ross Never Sleeps on NeverSleepsNetwork.com, Toronto's premier independent podcast network. We bring you the best Toronto-based hosts, journalists, and comedians each week on a variety of great shows available only on Never Sleeps Network. In this episode of RNS, I was fortunate enough to talk with the charming and brilliant comedian and performer, Deanne Smith. Originally from New York, we discussed topics like settling into Toronto, traveling the world as a successful comedian, and what it's like to work in an industry where you're bound to offend someone. We also chat about her very own podcast, Questionable at Best, featured on NoMoreRadio.com. Deanne is just a genuine and joyful person to talk with. We are very privileged to welcome Deanne Smith on another episode of Ross Never Sleeps. Let's talk about New York. You're from Endicott. I'm from Endicott, which is a small town in upstate New York. Upstate New York. I have had very little to do with the big city of New York in my whole life. And then you were rooted in Montreal. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've traveled the world. Yeah. As a successful comedian. Pretty much. I would say so. Yeah. Uh, and you're currently doing your own podcast. I do have my own podcast. Questionable at best. Yes, I haven't updated it in a while, but regular listeners know that that happens every once in a while. It's, it's hard to keep on track. You're but, busy. Uh, yeah, you know. Busy. You have a new dog. There's so many things to talk about. Um, but let me talk about my podcast for half a second. You should Please. come on it. Oh, sure. It's tons of fun. It's called Questionable at Best, and we just kick around one question the whole time. It's so good. And try to get into it. As a podcast lover, that's why I'm doing this. Yeah. I really enjoy your podcast. Did you really? Steph Tolev, Christoph Davidson, all the Jess Solomon. I can never get enough Jess Solomon. Oh, good. Me too. She's my BFF. Yeah. So that's an interesting relationship. You guys have been best friends from where, though? Where did you guys link up? We met in Montreal when she started comedy, which I think now is maybe like six years ago at this point and it's really fun because we are both women of a certain age we both turned 40 recently and you both uh, are very young looking we're women. very young looking and we have the lifestyle of teenagers exactly but we were really able thanks to comedy to develop this kind of friendship that feels very much like a high school friendship in the way that you know we've like traveled together and shared a bed to save on save to save money to, i was gonna say to save on saving the best friends are yeah. the ones you can sleep in a hotel bed with totally and you stay up till three in the morning giggling about bullshit like when in your adult life do you get a chance to make those kind of friends so when did you decide you were going to become a torontonian well, when, that's a very good question. I Beginning of December 2014, I moved out of my house in Montreal. And then I was getting ready to go to Australia in March. And all my stuff was essentially in storage or in my car. So the joke was that I was living in my car, which I kind of was. So I didn't have an address. And then in those few months, I was deciding where I wanted to end up. And I thought that I might come back from Australia, head out to Portland for a while where I have a bunch of friends stay there for the summer, see how that felt. I thought I might move to LA, thought I might move somewhere on the West Coast. And then uh, I fell in love with a girl in Toronto. Oh. Yeah, plus Toronto was always kind of on my radar anyway. So that all happened. So your current partner is what makes Toronto home. And my new dog. And your new dog. <laughs> I just Pardon doubled that. down. I was like, you know what? She doesn't deserve all this responsibility. I'm, I'm throwing a dog in the mix. I'm a fan of your Instagram. Tell us more about the dog that you've been constantly posting about. Oh, my God. Well, I only got her last week. How long is this podcast, by the way? As long as we talk for it. Okay, cool. You just signal me when we need to wrap things up, because I could talk about any of the topics we've already started. I'm excited. A long time. So uh, we just got her like a week and a few days ago, and I have been wanting a dog for my entire life. As I was so excited, I was thinking back, like, why am I so excited about this? And I'm like, oh, because it's been my dream since I was eight years old to have a dog. So I've been like, cruising uh, rescue sites for maybe about four years, looking at dog profiles, wishing my life was in a place to have a dog and not feeling ready to have a dog. And then this one popped up and she's perfect. She's uh, tiny, which is good for traveling because I'm not going to totally stop traveling, but this one could go in the cabin of an airplane with me and ride along in the car. She could, she could almost fit into this pocket. Not quite, but almost. 
And so we just went for it. We got her. Three ladies living in Toronto. Yeah. And I, I can say we now. When I got her, my girlfriend was my girlfriend has a nine to five, and she was very much like, "I'm excited to have a dog in our house, but you have to take care of her. I don't have time for a dog. I'm not ready to make this kind of commitment." And within an hour of having her, she was like, "So she's like our dog, right?" And I was like, "Yeah, sure. amazing. Yeah, that's she's how really it, great. That's how it usually is, though." Yeah. And so I told you I was late to coming here today because I haven't like I haven't really uh, figured out my leaving ritual yet and she's become very attached to me and she can see when i start getting my backpack and my coat on she gets a little like oh what's going on so i try to just leave her but i tried a new thing today i tried to like give her some treats in her favorite spot on the couch thinking that might occupy her while i snuck out the door but no what's her name her name is rudy rudy yeah short for rudolph because she looks like a little (laughs) reindeer Uh, rescue dogs that's so important i think not enough people realize that you can get fantastic rescue dogs in this city Oh, for sure. There's so many dog rescue organizations. I got her through Coveted Canines, but I also know about Save Our Scruff and, I mean, just so many. Just Google any combination of like, just paws or like little lovables. I mean, there's so many rescue organizations in Toronto. I don't think people realize how many millions of dogs are being killed all the time. Like perfectly good dogs. Well, that's why it's really important to really put the message out there that these dogs are fantastic. These dogs need your love. They're really just excited to see people on a daily basis coming through the Humane humane Society and through all these different programs that Toronto is really, you know, we're a a Toronto-loving city. I was going to say how Torontonian you've become already. You have the dog. (laughs) You have the wooden bow tie. Oh, I got the wooden bow tie. You know, you fit the profile. You're living in the West End. I got my Blundstones. Did you see those when I came in? I did see the Blundstones. Those came from Australia for real, but yeah. They fit in here. How often now are you in Australia and basically the world how often are you traveling how often are you home well i've been home more and more um but i will be going back to australia in 2017 so now i go there like every other year but i started going there about nine years ago and solidly for the first six years maybe it was 10 years ago anyway solidly for six years i went every year and kind of built a following there and a bit of a reputation so now i just go every other year and I how cool is that it's very cool I do the festival circuit just, over there. I'm going to go to Australia, guys. <laughs> yeah. When it's winter, I'm out of here. I'm right. Have some fun and sunshine. So you're also a vegan. I well, You're a seagan. Yeah. I want to touch on that. Because <laughs> Toronto is the, definitely a city where you can embrace veganism and seaganism. For those yeah. who don't know what seaganism is, a Deanne Smith term. Well, yeah. An ex-girlfriend made it up for me. But you're right. Oh, really? Yeah. Sarah Quinn, shout out. Not of Tegan and Sarah, th- though that has been uh, misprinted mul- multiple times. <laughs> what? That you're dating Sarah from Tegan yeah. and Sarah? Yeah. And then we've collaborated on projects. Anyway. Do they have the same last name? They do, but they spell it differently. Oh, interesting. No wonder why they got it. The confusion. I was like, where's the confusion? Sarah Quinn. So, so Segan is you eat animals from the sea. I eat animals from the sea. Which is cool. It's not really cool. I mean, do we want to talk about this? Here's 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 when and why I started eating animals from the sea again, because I was consistently dreaming about eating fish. I would have I would for about two years. I allowed myself to fall asleep at night and dream about eating fish. Not every night, but it would happen enough that at some point I was like, I think my body is trying to tell me something. And then I tried fish thinking for sure that I was going to be chewing it and be like, I feel its pain and its life in the sea. And I chewed it and was like, oh yeah, this feels right. Like it just had a quality that nothing else I had eaten in about 10 years had. Protein? Protein. Animal protein. <laughs> yeah. And it felt great. It's not great to eat fish, but you know, we're, we're overfishing. We're going to be all out of fish soon, but which was also why, and we're ruining the oceans, but which was also why I was like, do you know what? I'm going to get mine. Everybody else is nice. out there just eating fish and doing whatever the fuck they want. And I'm trying to be a good person. And I want fish, too. What were you dreaming of? Sushi? Just generally. Just just generally fish. Live fish. fish. Yeah. Just eating. Just sitting there like a barbecue or something. And so I was like, here's a hot plate of fish. Yeah. And I don't want to offend anyone out there. But, but this is true for me. I can look a fish in the eye and kill it. I can kill it myself. That's kind of my line of what to eat. So where in Toronto are you eating either fish or vegan? Oh, well, do you know where I really love going? And this is what a lapsed vegan I am because I, I didn't I haven't inquired about every ingredient in the dish. But I love going to Banjara Indian. It's right by my house. Christy and Bloor. Oh, so good. 
This reveals too much about my diet, but I will go to Pizza Pizza and get a gluten-free pizza without cheese. Which, I, I kind of knew that. Yeah. Gluten-free without cheese. I mean, at that point, a friend told me once, uh, that's not a pizza. That's a hot salad sandwich. What are you doing? <laughs> which essentially it is, but you get to at least smell the pizza when you're in the place. I don't trust vegans who don't like pizza. No. Like vegan pizza. Like, I feel like that's your go-to. That's, that's your one so last resort to, like, tasting what real food is like. Do you know what is really good vegan pizza is... Um, Apocalypse like, now? Pikelips now? I don't... They don't offer gluten-free crusts yet. Oh. So I can't go there. But I wish I could. But Famoso, it's another brand I discovered, but it's right oh, there in the, the annex. Store bo- oh, it's a, it's a restaurant. It's a pizza joint. Okay. That's a good spot. Say it again. Formosa? No. <laughs> Famoso. Famoso. Yeah. I Never heard of it. No. It's a chain, apparently. Oh, okay. Here I am, you're going, what vegan places? I'm like, pizza, pizza. I'm just thinking of what I did for dinner last night. I'm not a judgmental person here. You know, I think it's hard to have a vegan diet. Well, here's a few things going on, and I'm not going to name names, but there is a popular vegan restaurant that I have a hard time eating at because it's essentially just like glorified junk food. It's all vegan, but it doesn't feel like real food necessarily. And then there's another spot that I used to like and really go to. And just today, and I'm still deciding what to do with this info. This is a real downer, everyone. Get ready for this. Just today, uh, a friend of mine said, yeah, I don't go there anymore because someone that works in the kitchen is a rapist. Oh, And so she heard that from her friend who apparently was raped by this person. Um, So, you know, we don't have all the details there, but I tend to believe women and but I don't know what to do with that info. I feel like boycotting the restaurant isn't enough. I feel like someone might need to understand the consequences of their actions. So maybe contacting the establishment and going, this is why I don't want to eat there anymore. I don't know what to do with that info. I feel like I'm in an episode of Questionable at best right now. Oh, sorry. Well, no, I'm just, it's I'm good. You sat me down in front of a microphone and Not, here we are. Don't be sorry. <laughs> I am a fan. Okay. I, I honestly enjoy... Uh, I have been for the last year. I actually caught... My first episode last year was your Halloween episode with the fishing vest. Oh, gosh. That was really me going off the rails for no good reason. I've been a big fan ever since. Okay, good. Um, I just want to talk more about, basically, for first-timers... Who I am and why? (laughs) (laughs) No, no. I mean, I think everyone knows who you are, Deanne. Uh, Everyone knows you were on... Last Comic Standing. Yeah, that happened. That was and high profile. And then you did all these award-winning or nominating um, perf- solo shows. That also happened. You're correct you, there. You toured around Australia, um, Scotland, Ireland. Yeah, Scotland, not Ireland. Scotland. Maybe someday. Okay. I always get the two confused. Um, when someone's starting with a new podcast, just yes. like Questionable at Best, for first-timers looking to get into your show, I think yours is quite easy because you can simply pick out either comedians you like, uh, interesting topics to get like a good feeling of the show's style. You have great topics and even better guests. Uh, again, we mentioned Jess Solomon, Christoph Davidson, Steph Tolov. These are my favorite episodes. I'm a huge fan of Jess and you two can be seen monthly at Toronto's Bad Dog Theater. Why are you so professional? Where Solomon and Smith kick it. Oh, we kick it. I am fortunate to have you in the Never Sleeps Network studio. I wanted to talk to you about the podcast name. Where did Questionable at Best come from? Oh, uh, I think I actually thought of it when I was on a plane, which is where a lot of good ideas come from, up, head up in the clouds. It just occurred to me. I was I wanted to do a podcast for a few years before I did, but I wanted a good format. So the original idea for me was that it wouldn't be necessarily an interview. It would be a conversation with one question. I thought they would all last for 20 minutes and be little bite-sized podcasts, but they go on and on. Well, they're varying lengths. So, I don't know, it just took, it, I just liked it. The the fun double meaning of the name. So it's Deanne Smith's questionable at best. And the music is perfect. Oh, that's Mike Carozza. And for the diehard fans, can you also uh, reveal the identity of the creator of uh, Everything is Raymond? Oh, my God. I love that guy. Okay. So can I give a little backstory for people that have never listened? Let me go back to Mike for a minute. So Mike Kroza is a very, very funny comic out of Montreal at the moment. And I reached out to him to do the theme song for the podcast. He and I also collaborated on a... YouTube video with Miss Sugarpuss called Consensual as Fuck, which was my answer to um, the fact that there were a lot of very sexual rap songs, but none of them were explicitly feminist. So we did that together. Mike helped me with that. And then 
Patrick World, a longtime listener of the show, someone I've never met in person, but now we're like buddies. We exchange emails and ask each other how life is going once in a while. Can I also say this and don't edit this part out? Every time I start talking, you have like this death stare. Now you're smiling, which is cute. But the death stare is a lot for me to take. I'm absorbing. Okay. I just pretend that you're smiling all the time. There you go. <laughs> I'm a little I'm a little in shock that you're here. Why? Because I'm, I'm a fan. That's crazy. I know, eh? Do you know, I... I'm in the middle of a million stories, but I, I started doing this gig. It's our audience warm up for the Beaverton, you know, the Beaverton website. Of course. So they're making an amazing television show right now. And they brought me in to just keep the audience entertained while they're between takes and before the show and introduce the audience to what's going on. And I find it very fun and they pay me well and I get to be around the taping. But the first day I went in, probably at least like eight people associated with the production and maybe this is just how television people are. I don't know. But they were like, oh, my God, we can't believe we got you for this. We just, wow, thank you so much. We can't even believe that you're available. And then finally, by like the eighth time, I'm like, am I better than this? Should I think that I'm better than this? <laughs> Toronto's happy to have you. <laughs> I'm happy to do whatever. Thank you for inviting me to the Never Sleeps Network studios. <laughs> I need to talk more about your podcast what are your favorite topics that you've covered which episode gets the most interesting feedback oh okay i'm gonna get to that but i didn't finish up oh right we have we have we have music to talk about there's so many threads in my mind right now so everything is raymond is an offhand comment that somebody on my show made evie when she meant to say the show what's the show Everybody loves Raymond. Yeah. yeah. She's like, what's that show? Everything is Raymond. And we laughed so hard for so long. And then I just put it out there. Hey, somebody needs to make a theme song for that show that doesn't exist. And Patrick World. I sh- do I even know his real last name? Mm-hmm. I think I do. But he, he wants to be referred to as Patrick World. Sure. So he, I think within days, he had sent me the theme song for the fake the fake show everything is raymond and it is spot on it's it such a good kind of late 80s early 90s television sitcom theme song he mentions uh he name checks my so-called life in there and gets in a reference to the patriarchy and he is just a goddamn genius so now every episode since then you can listen to that theme song at the end of the episode and if you if you haven't listened to the particular episode where it came up you don't know why it's happening but i'd like to think it's still fun and it's a earworm it is yeah he's very talented even questionable at best your theme song is an earworm mike kurtz is also very talented so what feedback have you been getting from your shows who who are the most you know interesting guests that you've gotten a lot of feedback from oh i don't know if I don't know if it quite works that way. I, I can't, I don't have the metrics on that one. No, who, who, who I, like everybody comes up to you and says, I love that episode about jealousy. I love that episode about cheating. I love that episode about open oh, sexuality. Actually, now that I'm thinking about it, one that got like a ton of downloads was Carolyn Yates and I, and the question was, what's the worst sex you've ever had? So people like the sex ones for sure, that those tend to get passed around. Another one that got a ton of downloads was when I had my ex on and it was so early in the podcast. I think it was episode two or three. And our question was, can exes be friends? And we hadn't spoken in six months. So we were getting together to answer that question for real. And I think that one, I haven't listened back to it, but I would imagine that it's kind of like cringy, but you probably can't stop listening because it's two real people really trying to figure something out. You live on that kind of fine line of cringe-worthy <laughs> I think I subject do. matter. And I like that. My favorite topics you cover discuss sexuality openly. Yeah. Topics like jealousy, cheating, previous partners, and personal growth. But I find as we live in this progressive world, we allow for more interaction with our feelings and self. Uh, but we still live under the thumb of fear of what others think or even the prejudice by those less progressive. Mm. In your act, you openly discuss your sexuality and you've even joked that some of your material takes time to even become relevant over time because the world sometimes has to catch up. How do you get your friends and fans to yeah. openly explore their sexuality? What? <laughs> That's a big question. Um, I don't know if it is my goal to get my friends and fans to openly explore their sexuality, but I have discovered that when I'm open about myself, it does tend to inspire other people to be open. And some of the most interesting feedback I've gotten from the podcast 
which I wouldn't have expected. So it's really kind of nice is unfortunately, and I think especially in the US, there's still these pockets of places and people and communities where teenagers don't feel free to come out or they're in like a really Christian family in the middle of nowhere. So I do get emails from people saying that, you know, listening to the podcast is a bit of a lifeline and it makes them feel less alone. And I mean, that stuff is uh, such a wonderful side effect of of just doing it. I don't think you realize how powerful your message is that you're conveying. No, I, th- I don't think I, I don't <laughs> think I do either. No, I'm just, yeah. I, and I think that's part of the charm because mm. you're talking about these subjects, which can be quite tense, um, casually. You're with friends, you know, you're able to just sit down and kind of open the can of worms. But because it's so comfortable between you and your guest, I feel like more people need to experience that type of subject matter through that kind of conversation. Mm. Whereas, you know, if you're looking for podcasts that are directly linked to like openness and, and progressing and evolving sexuality, it can get really clinical. Yes, I, w- I would agree. Sometimes I try to listen to like sex podcasts and then I ultimately find them a bit boring. I think you have a niche that you don't even realize. <laughs> oh my God. Do you want to be my so manager? Good. My podcast manager? Obviously. <laughs> oh my gosh. You have this rhetoric when you're sometimes even worried mm-hmm. based on your own assumptions that sometimes you might offend how a person thinks or feels when starting an open forum style podcast where you're encouraging everyone to engage and be happy and not offended. Oh, right, right, right. You jokingly mention hanging with people who represent as queer yeah, uh, and how they can sometimes make you feel like you're being judgmental when you may just be loosely mentioning something specific about any one person. Where does this worrisome fear stem from? <laughs> Do you feel like you are sometimes walking on eggshells? How does that affect your writing? Ah, oh my gosh, those are so many questions in one. I would say that because I have existed, I've existed in kind of the queer world for so long. I came out in the late 90s, which is forever ago. And the queer world is evolving. The language is evolving. I mean, I'm not completely up to date with what's going on with the early 20-year-olds that are in university exploring new ideas and new identities and changing language that was formerly offensive. So I like to be up to date. And I think it's really important for all of us always to take on board what younger people are saying or what people from different experiences are saying. So I have been called out on things that I don't realize are problems. And I'll give you a couple of examples. This first one isn't from the podcast, but it's just from an article that I wrote on Autostraddle, a website that I sometimes write for. And the article was about, I mean, this was years ago, but it was about my relationship to time and how I'm always late. Today, I was late. In it, I made a little reference to, you know, I wish I was ethnic because I could at least have that excuse. (laughs) All my ethnic friends have excuses like, you know, I'm on Mexican time, I'm on Jamaican time. And I don't remember exactly how the joke goes, but I used to tell it on stage. And it was something like, I can never say like, oof, I'm on white people time. Sorry, I've just been really busy, like, you know, buying organic produce and appropriating other cultures or whatever. I mean, ultimately, I thought the joke was on white people about white people. It was it was harsher than that. It was a little something about, ooh, just ooh, not enough time in the day to, you know, do everything I need to do and turn a blind eye to third world genocide. Like, <laughs> so it was, it was meant to be a joke about white people, but people took offense on the website. I don't know, feeling like that I was racist somehow or the comment of, uh, you know, I wish I was ethnic wasn't correct. And I'm, I don't want to be racist. I am sure I am because I grew up in the US in a white house exposed to mainstream media. And we are all a little bit racist and need to confront it. But at some point in those comments, uh, I, I said to some somebody or people in general, just, um, you know, I, I don't want to be racist if, if, you know, I didn't mean to offend anybody. If you could point me to articles I should read or whatever, whatever. Now, I didn't realize that even that is in some ways overstepping a bound because people could say and they did say, you know, listen, white lady, it's not my job to educate you. Like you can Google search. You can figure this out for yourself. So as sincere and well-meaning as I was, that I still stepped right into this really classical uh what am I trying to say? It's like a classically offensive to people to go, well, I, I don't know, teach me. So 
Ignorance is not bliss anymore. No. And I possibly am like hypersensitive to these things. And the other thing that happened recently that is also a bit far, but I'm trying to catch myself when I do it, is somebody wrote me privately and in a super nice way because of my podcast, because I use the word crazy a lot. Like, that's crazy. This is crazy. And, And they said, and I don't think this is a popular idea yet. But, I, but it may become one. But they said using the word crazy is stigmatizing to people with mental illness. Do you agree? Um, I think it can be. If you're using crazy to mean bad, it's the same as using gay to mean bad, right? Like, oh, that's gay. That's, you know, lame, which is another problematic word. That's bad. I think crazy means so many things. But this person just pointed out that because it does mean so many things, get specific. If you mean to be like, that party was crazy but you want to say wild or, uh, I don't know, raucous, then say that. Don't say crazy. Or if you want to go, ugh, it was crazy. This guy was so late today. Then say it was really frustrating. It was really annoying. It was whatever else it was. But you're a spoken word artist. And I emphasize (laughs) artist. Yeah. You know, you can only make so many different colors with the palette that you have in your hand. How do you avoid you know, offending anybody or going to offend somebody. I know you don't. I know you don't know. I know it's not a, a question that it can be answered. It's just the obvious thing is you can't. So why even try to tend to everyone's needs? Yeah, I don't think you necessarily or like, let me speak for myself. I'm not trying to tend to everyone's needs, but I would never want to use my platform and my privilege. I'm going to go ahead and call it that to uh, punch down or I just think, I do think that we need to be careful with what we say and how we say it, right? So I I don't want to make jokes that are racist. I don't want to make jokes that stigmatize people with mental illnesses. Do I mind offending uh, rich, <laughs> rich white men with more privilege than me? Not really. I don't mind if I offend them. I think, I think it's about like punching up versus punching down. Flipping it. Yeah. And I like that idea that the humor that you're creating is on the side that everyone's against almost. It's not like <laughs> it's not like it's it's the easiest or hardest target. But, you know, like you said, there's a lot of white male rich privilege. So there's an easier target in the sense that, you know, religion, race, sexuality aside, it's almost like a 99 percent, one percent. Yes. Look at it. But all of these terms that we're using now, see, because even that is becoming a bit boring to me, like, oh, the, you know, the rich white male or whatever, because people talk about this stuff now. When I started comedy 10 years ago, people weren't talking about privilege as openly as they are now. People weren't acknowledging what that means, you know, whether or not. I mean, everyone's still kind of fighting about it or certain people don't get it, but at least they understand the concept. Ten years ago, I feel like the concept wasn't really there in the mainstream or general general population. So now that it's there, I'm starting to find, at least for myself, those kind of jokes a bit boring because they feel easier and easier. Or, you know, there's actual like feminist comedy shows now. And it's not as fun to trot out those ideas in a feminist comedy show or just like a echo chamber rally sort of situation. Do you think that's a good place for comedy to kind of set this guideline, these regulations? I think it's good for people to feel less alone and in their beliefs, you know, to go to a show and all laugh at the same things and go, wow, I I also thought that, but this person really put it out there. Great answer. And I've heard, I, I was just at a feminist, explicitly feminist show in Kitchener recently called Lull. And it was awesome like people were really good it was really funny there's a comedian up there called Aaron White who was just blowing me away with her some of her jokes one of her things was about Trump's recent comment about women uh, grabbing them by the pussy that being quote locker room talk and I'm I'm not going to do her joke justice here but she just said something about like that's not my you know I guess women's locker rooms really are different. <laughs> I mean, my locker room talk is like, hey, can I borrow your hair dryer? Or, and then I mean, she had a punchline in there bigger than that, but I don't remember what it was. But like, I thought, I thought that was really great, right? And you know you're going to have an audience that's like going to respond to that sort of thing. Although that joke would fly in a comedy club. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, there was a lot of professional athletes that tweeted after that comment went public saying, 
I've lived and worked in a locker room my entire career, and that's not the kind of talk I've ever been a part of. You know, these are yeah. like twenty year old, twenty year veterans in like the NFL and such. Oh, that's so cool! I yeah, didn't know people yeah. were doing that. Right after that was released, so many athletes came out and said, "That's not locker talk," and these are athletes. Yeah, that's why it made it so powerful. I thought it was really impressive. That's awesome. You're clearly performing to this wide variety of people. And fans, mm-hmm. you're, in my opinion, the most PC and practically harmlessly eloquent comic I've enjoyed in harmlessly a long time. Eloquent, all right, right. You're harmless. Like you're, you're. When I go to your show, I don't think you have offensive subject. I watched you open for Jim Norton. Oh yeah, at JFL. And we're gonna get to that, but I. What I I want to bring that up early only because you're so good at playing all sides really well. And that's what I mean by harmless. Like nobody's going to be offended. Even if you're challenging people on their beliefs, you do in such an eloquent way that people are like, oh, I see that in a different light. I find that enjoyable. I'm going to laugh. I, too, am someone who is forever worried about working so hard at this podcast until I say the wrong thing to the wrong person. My follow up question why do we dwell on the offended? Are these people just looking to be offended? Oh, well, I think it would come to an innate human need to want to be liked. And I've been thinking about that recently. So this is a a little bit to the side, but not really. I think when you've offended someone, you get the sense that they don't like you and that you're a bad person and you know yourself not to be a bad person. And I think we all... Pretty much whatever, whatever else we say, I think we want everyone to like us. And I was thinking about that recently really hard. And this is the best thing I figured out. And tell me what you think. (laughs) I think it must be kind of an evolutionary thing because humans are social creatures and we're collaborative creatures. And it, you know, back in the day and even today would be very hard to exist out in a cold world alone that you have to get along with your fellow humans if, if for nothing else but survival. So I think we're all a little bit hardwired to want to be liked and to want to get along. So I think on some deep level that maybe we don't even understand, we don't want to offend people. And I think people that say that they don't care if they offend people or whatever, the I think, I think they're in part lying to themselves and are just assholes. Everybody wants to feel something. I feel that's just what it really comes down to. And sometimes when we don't feel good about something, our immediate reaction is to feel negative about it. Mm. It's like, oh, I don't know why I don't like this. So therefore, I don't like this. So I think that's an easy way for our brains to be like, oh, well, you know, you're going to like the things you like. Therefore, we're going to pursue these hobbies and eat these foods. But, you know, as a child, I really didn't like broccoli. But now I do. But like, you know, you kind of take these these weird stances for sometimes no reason or sometimes psychologically your brain has a altercation somewhere earlier in your life. You maybe don't realize it. I'm not saying that it's something as simple as, you know, something passing by. The extremes, of course, are also major reasons of why we feel certain ways of, 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 you know, prejudice or or what have you. But I feel like in our day-to-day lives, some people who are, I call them like Facebook, you know, socializers, people who tend to just berate people on social media Mm -hmm. just because they're bored. You know, they're like, oh, I could really stir the pot here. I'm slightly offended, but let's see how offended I could get. Or I maybe have offended somebody. This is the spark. How much more can I lay it on? Because this person doesn't know me. I'm stuck in my home. I think everyone has to be their own barometer of offensive not offensive or you know if you're triggered easily what to avoid and you know again it's that ignorance is bliss thing but how do we avoid being offended you know i feel like if you can't laugh at what you're offended then you're never gonna have a good time yeah i mean i don't know i think a lot of times people are like uh rightfully offended it's 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 in many ways a horrible world that we're living in Mm -hmm. um i mean i say that i i i have this real kind of uh, dichotomy of like a lot of joy in my heart for like, yay, life is so great. And also like, wow, life is just a horror show of death and disappointment. But 
I mean, at least for me, in terms of comedy that I enjoy, like I love Jim Norton and I know that I'm sure that I have certain queer feminist friends of mine that wouldn't enjoy his comedy the same way. I've gotten in arguments with people about Bill Burr and why I think he is a great comic and hardcore feminist friends have been like, no, he's misogynist. He's this, he's that. (sighs) I don't, I mean, to me, I think it comes down to trying to see the spirit of the person not even trying. You can see the spirit of the person and you can tell somebody's nature and, and what they're trying to do with their jokes. So, so Jim Norton, for example, sometimes like on the surface, something may seem offensive because he's talking about prostitutes or he's talking about like weird sexual kinks. And But when you dig into it, you realize that he's actually like talking about women with respect and the target of all of his jokes is himself and his own psychological shortcomings. But I know that I'm sure that certain ways that he phrases things or does things could be offensive to someone with a thin skin who's not willing to kind of look in there at what's really happening. And you're opening for Jim and you're playing this less vulgar, more PC kind of joke um, storyline you're talking about. Actually, essentially, you're talking about similar things. You're talking about sex. Yeah. You know, you're talking about... I tried to. I threw my strip club story in there. for And, and your, your classic puss yeah. crushing oh, jokes. Yeah. I open early with how much mad puss I crush. But these jokes are, you know, almost a surprise to Jim Norton's audiences. And you played on that. Yeah. You know, you're like, I bet you weren't expecting this kind of lead in for the misogyny you're about to experience. <laughs> and which is true, though. And I think that's why you were a, a good opener. And Jim did crush it. It was a late night show. I saw the the 11 o'clock. So that's oh, when the right, audience okay. is, is ripe for the vulgarity. Yeah. Did uh, Jim Norton or Margaret Cho, who you were hanging out with, you also did the alternative show with Andy Kindler. Did these amazing world class comedians give you any um, like advice any really good advice no you didn't get a chance to just kind of talk mm. with them very often we just hang out just hanging out well no one's i mean it would be kind of the asshole who's like running around giving you unsolicited advice right it would be weird i, I think if we're just hanging out backstage they're like also let me tell you a little something andy i've known for years um we've we've played in australia together and in montreal and in la so i i consider him like a buddy at this point Maybe, should I be asking these people for advice? Oh, I just thought if I was in that room, if I was a fly on the wall, you know, you got you, Margaret Cho, and Jim Norton in the same room, I can just imagine what you guys would talk about. I mean, you and Jim alone, what, like, like, did he know you before? Did he know your material before? Well, um, he would have had say on whether or not I should open for him. Really? So, he, like, asked for me among the clips that Just for Laughs people sent him. So they said, here are some potential openers for you. Tell us what you think. Because I was like, Jim Norton asked for me? So I would have been on his radar after Just for Laughs, like, introduced us. So that was cool. And I I do think we made a good match. But in terms of what we talk about, it's really interesting because it just, it's like, comedians are comedians. So at some point, whether you've been doing it, you know, two years or 20 years, you have the same kind of issues and neuroses and concerns. Jim was in a great venue. I think it was the Queen Elizabeth Theater. Beautiful theater. And he had two shows and neither show was sold out, right? He had, but he has a ton of fans and he had, a, he had a surprise show the night before at the comedy bar. So he was a little bit frustrated just from a comedian's point of view, a performer's point of view. I think his ego a little bit, he was like, ugh, you know. He's a, he's a very nice guy. He's not a complainer. But we did have a conversation about, oh, why couldn't they just give me one big sold out show instead of these two shows, you know, and especially where the late show where he felt like, Ugh, you know, there's not a lot of people here. It's only, you know, 65% full or whatever. And I mean, for him, we're still talking about hundreds of people being there. But I thought it was interesting because I had a similar complaint with the festival a couple of years earlier when I had two shows on the same night and the first one was half full and just felt like, ugh, not great for me, not great for my audience. And then the second one was sold out. And you just can't help but think, why not just give me the one show where I feel better as a performer and the audience feels better because everybody's there. So that was kind of funny to realize that we had the same concerns. Did you like how the festival was set up this year? I I feel like a lot of comedians played, like you were saying, many smaller shows Mm -hmm. throughout the festival. Yeah, I love it. I mean, this, I think this was their five year anniversary as a festival. 
I was in the first ever JFL 42. I've been lucky enough to be in it every other year doing a show, which has been great. And I think they're only getting better every year. They're learning more about how the festival works and how the past thing works. They're introducing new elements. That's the thing about Just for Laughs, too, is is everybody there is so creative and hardworking. They never just rest on a good thing. They always have a good thing and then throw something new in the next year and just continue to grow it. What I think is great about it is it does really create this fun community for those couple of weeks in Toronto where I think people are really going out and checking out a lot of shows. They're going out night after night. They're willing to take a chance on something they never heard of because they have that pass and those credits. And it reminds me of like the Melbourne International Comedy Festival, which goes for three weeks, where you would have actual comedy groupies who would call themselves comedy groupies. I mean, who will come up to you after shows and have you sign things and, you know, open up a book that's like full of all the autographs they've been collecting throughout the years um, of different comedians. I mean, people that really care about comedy on a level that we don't see here in Canada. But I feel like JFL 42 is like creating that in Toronto. Is there a term for uh, comedian groupies? No, I think they just call themselves comedy groupies. Comedy groupies. And I mean, they're, you know, they're weird people. The ones that would call themselves that are (laughs) often on some kind of a spectrum. But God, God love them. They're going to all the shows. I have a few uh, more questions for you. Mm -hmm. Um, Again, I'm here with Deanne Smith, questionable at best. I have a question that's a little out there for you. Mm-hmm. Your last name Smith. Yes, I haven't thought about this ever. Implies someone that creates something. Oh, it does. That builds it? something. Okay. Using their person, their skills. If there was a definition of a Deanne Smith, oh, what would they be smithing? <laughs> do you? You don't necessarily mean what do I make? Like as you were saying, Smith means to make something. What would be a Deanne Smith? Like a, like. Like a blacksmith. Yeah, would deal with iron. All I could think was like, I guess my mom would be a Deanne Smith because she made me. (laughs) That is very true. She made me inside of her body. I don't think I understand the question. What would you... Want to create? Yeah. What are you like ultimately looking to build your empire around? (sighs) Well, the word empire is at odds with what I was about to say. But um, What were you going to say? Well, I was just going to say that really what I hope to create and I'm constantly working on it I I haven't quite arrived yet but when I really really think about what do I want to do in comedy it's it's all quite kind of woo-woo touchy-feely goals and it's it's create a sense of community it's create joy with people it's create understanding it's create you know less loneliness I really love doing comedy and having live performances and being in the room with those people that are there in the room and and I think the most like fun and magical thing to create is like, oh, I was going to say the moment, but it's true. It's it's that moment. It's these people in a room and we're never going to do this in this way again. So and maybe now I'm landing on all of those things, but ultimately a unique experience for the people there and for myself. And Toronto is a great city to do that in currently with the comedy boom. Oh, it's going crazy. I was speaking to uh, somebody at the Comedy Network the other day. And I, like I said, I've only been here about a year and a half, but I was saying, I think that the Toronto scene is, I just think that there is so much talent here and so much innovation and creativity. And she said, she's been in the city for like 20 years. And she said, she thinks it's unprecedented what's going on right now in the Toronto comedy scene. And it's been a long time coming, but over the last few years, essentially the comedy boom is definitely the biggest it's ever been. And you're proof of that pudding you know you you being here seeing that being able to create these experiences in toronto i mean it's funny montreal used to be more of a mecca i feel for comedy and i think toronto's slowly sucked all the goodness out of montreal pretty much yeah i have so many friends that live here that are from montreal or yeah yeah or we're moving to la but i feel like a lot of the comedians come back you know they go to la they'll go to new york try it out for a bit and they realize no i'm funnier here the audience here there's millions of people here yeah so i think finally for the first time in a long time it, it's only taken till 2016 uh-huh. but toronto is being seen on the same level as new york montreal la and again you being here and, and residing here and seeing the boom yourself and being a part of the boom is you know evidence that we're doing something, whether it's the podcasts that we're creating, these experiences that you're creating. It's very original to Toronto. There's nothing like that 
I mean, coming out of Montreal, there's nothing really coming out of that other than like Nerdist in LA yeah. or like Earwolf. You know, we need more Deanne Smith, Smithing podcasts. <laughs> oh, here we go. You know what I mean, though? Yeah. Like, that's why I like your podcast specifically, because now that you're here in Toronto, you have more of a Toronto voice. You know, again, I've been a fan for at least the last year so listening you talk about you know north york or just like driving around in the city yeah. you know your podcast is so much about toronto than i think you realize i don't realize that yeah but you know toronto is a comedic city there's a lot of interesting things happening here on the serious side and the comedy side which makes for these experiences that you're embracing well thanks <laughs> <laughs> the next episode i'm going to put up well the next one i'm going to put up is is not necessarily toronto centric but maybe i'll make the one after that maybe i'll really hit this home for you please i, I mean i'll definitely be listening to <laughs> okay, it okay great you come across very evolved and progressive it's such a pleasure having you here i'm inspired by you to play a little game okay so i can squeeze in a bunch of questions to learn more about you oh shit man i'm ready i'm okay. listening up so i wanted to create a segment called what's your type Ooh. where I'll name a variety of different people, <gasps> different situations and relationships, and you can tell us your type okay. to your best ability. Can I say this first? I've been in therapy for at least a couple of years now, and I'm, I'm learning, I'm getting to know more about myself. But a couple years ago, a quip from a now ex-girlfriend, the aforementioned Sarah Quinn, I said something once like, oh, you know me better than myself. And she was like, everyone knows you better than yourself. So we'll see if I even know my type. But you're like the friend that everybody can have really easily. I'm just saying like people are, it's not easy to like make friends with people in the city. And I think you're constantly happy to engage and smile. And again, as an artist, it's sometimes people see this like kind of magical barrier, like, oh, we can't approach you or we, you know what I mean? There, yeah. There's a respect thing. I don't think it's, it's necessarily a barrier, but it's a respect thing. So what I like about Toronto, especially is our comedians are so friendly everyone's willing to kind of go out of their way to say hello or even like regard your social media yeah. or your your emails, like especially with your show, as engaging as you are. So about this game, there's no right or wrong answer. You can say names or descriptors. Okay. It doesn't have to be your favorite of all time or favorite at all. I'm just going to, I'm going to try to not think it and just see what happens. Perfect. Ready to play What's Your Type, Deanne Smith? I'm so ready. Deanne, what's your type of TV show? Oh, Listen, I wish I could say comedy, but I have discovered that I really love like a gritty, but not too violent kind of crime intrigue hour. Like? Like The Sopranos, like yes. Narcos, like uh, Bloodline, which is one on Netflix I've so been really good. into. Like that. How would you categorize those things? Thrillers. Thrillers. Action thrillers. Action thrillers, yeah. Thrillers for sure. Sopranos thriller. Sometimes they do get really violent and I, I try not to take that part in, but that's... I'll still, I'll still do it because I love those types of storylines. Sopranos is one of the best shows of all time. Deanne Smith, what's your type of cafe and coffee? Ooh. Um, my type of coffee is an Americano with almond milk, please. And my type of cafe is anywhere with Wi-Fi that is not too noisy. I love to work in a cafe. I get really distracted by loud music. But if there's a good Wi-Fi connection and not too loud of music, I like it. I used to like the kind of hipster looking cafe. That's when it was rare. And then it became, it's such a thing. And I think I heard someone call it contemporary conformist. Oh, man. Isn't that so smart? <laughs> yeah. That's not my phrase. I wish I could take credit for it. That... Now that kind of like, you know, distressed wood, exposed brick, <laughs> I wish I could feel the same way about it, but it just seems so calculated now. So like anywhere with its own, with its own vibe. Any shout outs in Toronto? Well, a cafe I love, um, and it is real down home. I mean, its furniture looks like they took it out of like a Holiday Inn in the late 90s. It's called Aziza and it's on College Street. They have cheap food, good, strong coffee and like a very weird atmosphere. Like they have art on the walls that's for sale, but it's the kind of art that you're like, who even made this and, <laughs> and who would buy this? Deanne Smith, what's your type of ginger beer? How, how do you even know I love ginger beer? I know things. Well, you should, if you said what's your type of beer, I could say ginger. Okay. What, Deanne Smith, what's your type of beer? <laughs> ginger! Deanne Smith, what's your type of city to party in? Type of city to party in. First of all, you're assuming that I party. Well, party, um, take that as you will. <laughs> what do I what do I like in a city? I like a city with nature to explore. 
I party in nature. Nature's a great party. Or rather, I like to be at a party and then walk home late and walk through a park. That's dangerous. I'm not. (laughs) That's not the kind of nature party we're talking about. Yeah. Okay. Let's just say a decent queer scene. Okay. Also pretty good in Toronto, you can find. Yeah. Uh, what was your type of comedian before you started performing? Oh, you're saying that I would be my own type of comedian now? <laughs> um, my type of comedian has always been someone who is uh, vulnerable and talks about taboos and is doing something innovative. So obviously I love Maria Bamford and I always have. I love Bill Hicks, uh, you know, Richard Pryor. Those types. Okay. Yeah. Deanne Smith, what's your type of partner? Oh, my type of partner. Um, I mean, I just have to say my girlfriend <laughs> right now because she's everything to me. My type of partner would be someone who, someone with a great sense of humor, someone who's a little bit weird because I'm a little bit weird, and someone who can balance my neurotic energy by just being chill all the time. That helps a lot. And lastly, Deanne Smith, what's your type of friend? My type of friend? Oh, my type of friend can be almost any type of person. I'd it's very say. true. I, I can definitely agree. Just don't be a jerk. Don't be a jerk. <laughs> be able to talk your feelings out. Tell us how you feel. Yeah. Don't be offended too much or tell us why you're offended and how we can help you out next time. Yeah, that would be my type of friend. Also someone who I guess would accept the fact that I have this constant struggle between wanting to be social, but also being just a deep introvert. So I might bail on plans every once in a while. Don't take it personally. Just make a new plan with me, please. That comes with age. We all just have that ability to just not want to go out anymore. Okay. Yeah, it's not you. Okay. Oh, thanks. That's everything I needed to hear in this podcast. Great. (laughs) I'm so glad I could fulfill that for you. Thank you. Can we plug some of your upcoming shows in November? Oh, yeah. Okay. So what do I have going on? Um, I am traveling in November in Montreal, November 4th. I'm doing a show called Stand Up Strip Down, which is my absolute favorite show to produce. It is stand-up comedy and burlesque. That's at Theatre St. Catherine. November 5th, I'm at the Vermont Comedy Club in Burlington two shows that's gonna be super fun november 9th i'm working with your your buddy jess solomon i mean my buddy i couldn't do the reverse fast enough someone that you like our buddy jess solomon november 9th and her wife iman el husseini we're doing our show girl on girl on girl comedy amazing at the duplex that's november 9th um then i'm away visiting my grandma no shows just hanging out with my 91 year old gran and then i'm back i believe it's november 20th or whatever the Monday is for Solomon and Smith at Bad Dog Theater in Toronto. And you can catch Deanne Smith at DeanneSmith.com. Thank mm-hmm. you so much for coming onto my podcast. It's a truly, it's truly an honor to have you here, Deanne Smith. Thanks for having me. You've taught me a little something about professionalism. Look Did at the I? setup. Yes. Oh, well, I'm happy to, you know, advise you on anything to do with questionable at best. Okay, perfect. Start thinking about your question because you're going to come on. Okay, okay. I will. Awesome. Well, you can hear me on questionable at best. Yeah. Deanne Smith's podcast and never sleepers thank you for listening to another episode of ross never sleeps on the never sleeps network sleep tight sleep tight